0: Well, welcome church. It's good to be together. Glad that you are here. Glad those of you who are with us online that you're you're here as well. I'd tell the congregation to turn and wave at you, but you can't see them, so you wouldn't even know. Um, if you're visiting, you are so lucky today because today is Potluck Sunday. Actually, we have uh, a family here, if you're visiting, just so you know, family here has prepared a pile of meat, I'm told, uh, to share with the church uh, for thanks for help while they were sick. Uh, and uh, uh, other church members have brought a lot of food. So if you're visiting today, you're invited to a free lunch. I know those don't, aren't even supposed to exist, but you're invited to a free lunch today, and I hope you'll stay and share some time with us. How many of you remember Ronald McDonald? He may still be around, I don't know, but, but I remember Ronald McDonald. Uh, I haven't seen him in a commercial for a while. So think of Ronald McDonald and listen to these words. If any of my competitors were drowning, I'd stick a hose in their mouth and turn on the water. It's ridiculous to call this an industry. It is not. This is rat eat rat, dog eat dog. I'll kill them, and I'm going to kill them before they kill me. You're talking about the American way, the survival of the fittest. Okay, that wasn't really a quote from Ronald McDonald. Uh, It is a quote, though, from Ronald McDonald's boss, Ray Kroc, the founder or the, the one who kind of took McDonald's worldwide and made it the force that it is. Dog eat dog. That's the American way, he says. That's the way business operates. Paul, in the first four chapters, of Corinthians, which is where we're studying this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. In the first four chapters of Corinthians, he says that what we preach, the cross of Christ, looks like foolishness to the world. It doesn't tick the boxes of the Greek philosophers. It doesn't match the expectations of the Jewish rabbis. It just looks foolish to the world. And in chapter 4, he uses a phrase that I, this, I think helps put some of that into perspective. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, if you have it, what makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? You get that? He started back in chapter 1 reminding us the message of the cross is foolishness. And now he throws this line in. What do you have that you did not receive? If you want to understand why Christianity looks strange from the world's perspective, why it even looks strange from our perspective sometimes, foolish. Why would you act like that? This is one of the reasons. And today, we're going to do something, I think, that will help us to put that into perspective. The cross of Jesus Christ will help us flip our brain over. Because unfortunately, as crudely as Ray Kroc put things, a lot of us live in a dog eat dog world. A lot of our brains are tuned to the rat eat rat, dog eat dog, I'm going to kill them before they kill me mentality. And Paul says the cross of Christ has flipped that for us. Why are you boasting? Why are we proud? What is it that we have that we have not received from God? What's the last time you heard people bragging about how much their parents helped them with their mortgage or student loans. People brag all the time about their careers and maybe about their house. When's the last time you heard a politician say, yes, I'm a billionaire because I started with a $2 billion loan from my rich father. They don't tell you that. That's not what we brag about. We want to say, I did it. I did it because it's a dog-eat-dog world and I want you to think of me as the biggest, meanest dog around. Right, And Paul says the cross of Christ reminds us of who we really are. And it's a good thing that we are. This is not a dog-eat-dog world. In a dog-eat-dog world, the creator would never ever Send his son to save us. The cross of Christ paints a picture that can come into focus for our brains that tells us a truth about the entire universe. This is not a dog-eat-dog world. This is a world that's given to us by our loving Father. You get the difference that makes? We got up this morning and without our help, our heart received a jolt of adrenaline and our legs woke up from slumber. Little ion channels in the nerves activated our muscles and we stood up. And our hearts beat faster and we didn't even want to wake up but our body woke us up. Our lungs inflated spontaneously and took in air. How much of that was given to us by our creator? Name the stuff you did <laughs> in that. We, we live in a world given to us by our loving creator. The cross of Christ is just a picture for us to help us see the big picture and to help our brains flip over into that picture and live in that world. This is a world that a God who loves us more than we love ourselves has handed to us because he wants us to learn to love him with all of our heart all of our mind, all of our strength, and everything we are, all of our soul. And he wants us to learn to love each other. And he gives us these gifts so that we will grow and become stronger, especially to be able to do those two things, to love him and to love each other. This is a world given to us by our loving Father. And as long as I'm stuck in the dog-eat-dog brain, that story sounds foolish to me. That story sounds crazy to me. It's only when I let the cross of Christ really sink into my heart. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I can't save myself and I am so grateful that you have been sent by the Father to save me. It's when we say, I receive that gift, that we our eyes can open and realize all the gifts we've been receiving all along. What do you have? What is special about you that you have not received? Paul applies that specifically to the question he's talking about in the first four chapters uh, of First Corinthians, which is this issue of you know fighting about is your preacher better? is my preacher better? Do I like my preacher better? That's all dog eat dog brain talking. You know well this church over here, this group over here, they have a really cool speaker. If we don't get a cool speaker, uh, they're gonna those dogs are gonna eat our dogs. And Paul says, The growth of the church, as Jeremy told us last week, the growth of the church does not come from the preacher. It does not come from the elders. However good-looking your preacher is. Handsome, charismatic, noble, kind. The growth of the church. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. I, I appreciate it. Uh, The growth of the church comes as a gift from our loving Father. And whatever God gives us, we want to be good stewards of, we want to use. But we can, we are crazy if we think that by human effort and competition, we're going to somehow make, you know, God's kingdom flourish. We aren't. We are the children of a loving God, and we make the we help the kingdom flourish when we act like children who are receiving his gifts and using them to the best of our ability. That's why Paul says this really devastating uh, if you're in chapter four of First Corinthians, this devastating list he gives, he says you Corinthians are kind of in the dog. Eat dog brain, I think, is what he's saying, because you think you're so smart and you think you're so wise. And we apostles live lives of foolishness. Look at what he says. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 8. Already you have everything you want. You're rich. Already you've become rich. You've, be, you've begun to rule. And that without us. I, I wish you really had begun to rule so we might reign with you. For it seems to me This is Paul ruminating. He says, it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. This used to be a feature of the gladiatorial games. Condemned prisoners were often, you know, part of the show. Public executions in horrible ways for the amusement of the crowd. And and Paul says, that seems like God has done that to us. That some of our suffering is part of what God is doing in the world. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are so strong. You're honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we, uh, he's talking about the apostles, we go hungry, we go thirsty, we're in rags, we are brutally treated, we're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to now. You know, if you're in your dog-eat-dog brain, then it makes no sense to live the kind of life Paul just described. It makes no sense at all. It's only when you've realized the amazing gift of the cross of Christ. And and that's beginning to open your mind to all of the gifts that God has been giving you all along. Whether you knew it or not, God has been pouring his love into you your whole life. It's only when that starts to happen that you realize it doesn't matter if I suffer in this life as long as I'm making my father in heaven happy. It doesn't matter if people look at me and think I'm crazy. If you're in your dog-eat-dog brain, you say, why would you ruin your life? I mean, religion is fine in its place. If your church, you know, makes you happy and lets you have friends and and, and your religion is an enhancement to your life, then that's fine. But don't let it get out of hand. Paul, you just let your devotion to God go drive you nuts. Because look at the kind of life you're living now. You're poor, you're homeless, you're ragged, you're beat up all the time or half the time. Why would you ever let your religion get out of hand like that? That's what the dog-eat-dog brain's gonna say. And Paul says, I know what the cross of Christ has done for me all of my sufferings are worth it and more for the sake of the kingdom that the cross paid for. That's what Paul says. His brain has been flipped to realize he doesn't live in a dog-eat-dog world. He lives in a world that is a gift from our loving Father. Paul makes a couple of more points in the next chapters. If you look over in chapter 5, and I'm not going to spend a whole long time talking about these, but if you look at chapter 5, Paul addresses an issue. He says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind even the pagans don't put up with. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud of it. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? Now, there are several things about that. We don't know all the details, but typically, the way a situation like this would come up, where a man would marry his father's wife, as if the father had taken a second or third wife for her money, for her property, for her family connections, the father dies and the son wants to keep those connections, and so he marries her. What we're talking about here is somebody in the church who was probably rich and powerful. And the Corinthian Christians might have known what they should do about this. This this is a sin that should be confronted. This is a sin that should be dealt with. But because this person was rich and powerful, they felt like they just going to have to put up with it if it was a poor person they might could do it but not a rich person not a powerful person and paul says it doesn't matter in your dog eat dog brain putting somebody out of the fellowship who has money who has prestige that's crazy the only way the church is going to survive is by gathering up members who have money and power. It doesn't matter what they do in their private life. It does not matter if they have sins that everybody knows about. As long as they're contributing their money and their prestige, the congregation's going to do fine. That's what the dog-eat-dog dog brain says. It's only if you flipped over to realize this is God's church, just like this is God's world. And here's a person whose soul is in jeopardy. And as a church, we can't stand by and pretend like this is okay. And so Paul says, action needs to be taken. The rest of chapter 5, he, he talks about that and says what needs to happen. In the cross of Christ, when I realized that I am living in God's kingdom, my perspective about what it means to be rich and powerful changes dramatically. Because I'm not living on human gifts and human money and human prestige. Everything I have in the church comes to me from my Father. And my eyes have to be on Him and what He wants. In chapter 6, Paul addresses another issue. If any of you have a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of in front of the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? If you were to judge the world, how are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And he goes on and says, it would be far better to pick the person you think in the church who has the least good judgment, the most foolish person you can find, than to trot your dirty laundry out in front of unbelievers. Settle your disputes among yourselves whenever you can. Now, I'm not going to claim that the situation of the first century legal world transports perfectly without problems into the 21st century world. It doesn't, and there's a lot of complications there. But we Christians, we cannot ignore that principle. How much harm gets done to God's kingdom when Christians publicly fight with each other? How much? We see it all the time. It's a natural place for the world to dismiss what we're doing. I'm going to tell you something. Every church fight I know about, every interpersonal conflict in church I know about, happened because the dog-eat-dog brain took over. I mean people say, Oh, it's about scripture, it's about what I believe and it's a you know it's about what's right and what's wrong, but every time it got nasty and it got public, it was because someone decided I would rather win, no matter the cost than to have to back down in front of this other person or other group. It's interesting, Paul says. In verse 5, look down in verse 5. I say this to shame you. Is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to course, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact, verse 7, that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul says, this this will never be what the dog-eat-dog brain says. Paul says, if we have received so many gifts from God, our loving Father, we can afford to turn the other cheek, especially to our brothers and sisters. We can afford to take a loss sometimes. We can afford to be made to look like a loser in front of other people sometimes because God is the one who has given us our salvation and everything else that's good. The dog-eat-dog brain will never except that that makes sense. It only makes sense as our hearts are being transformed by the cross of Christ. So church, what world do you live in? Do you live in a dog-eat-dog world? Or do you live in a world that is a gift from your loving Father? Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the bountiful gifts. You got us up this morning. You gave us air. You gave us food. You gave us safety. God, you've given us and given us and given us so many things that even when we try to count our blessings, we give up before the blessings do. God, we are grateful for you. And above all, we are grateful for this that when we made a mess of our lives, you sent Jesus Christ to pay the price so that we could be in your kingdom with you. God, transform our brains to live in that world, a world that you have given us, a world that is full of your good gifts. Help us to live out of that generosity that you have. Help us to treat each other out of that generosity that you have shown to us. God, please help us to be the people you have created us to be. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need to respond to the cross of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers in some public way, you can come forward in just a minute when we're singing and and we will pray for you or we will give you help that you ask for, if it's within us to do it. If today you've decided, I want to be baptized. I want, I want to have my sins washed away. I believe in Jesus. And my belief in Jesus is making me hate the way I've been living. I want to turn away from my sins. I'm ready to say out loud that I believe in Jesus to confess him. So today I want to have my sins washed away by the blood that was shed on the cross of Christ. If you want to make that step, we encourage you to do it as we stand in our led in song.